Okay, today we are here with with uh, actually store-bought uh, store-bought coffee because uh, we didn't we didn't communicate which one of us would bring the coffee. So now we I have coffee, but it's five kilometers away. <laughs> yeah. So we have the infamous Yulamokka that I mentioned in a previous podcast that tastes bitter and. Yeah, well, uh, I said that we should make a challenge out of uh, trying to find good sides about it, but I have to say that this smells very bad. <laughs> kind it, of. It yeah. doesn't smell like co- coffee. I wonder how to describe it, because uh, coffee is actually perishable uh, perishable food, because it has the oils and uh, stuff. So it goes bad if you uh, after roasting and grinding you keep it in room temperature, and this smells actually very much like somebody left good coffee in room temperature and allowed the oils to go bad. Yeah, and well, this is a very light roast as well compared to well, it's the lightest roast I guess. Yeah, like you can have so compared to what we usually have when I roast it at least, it's 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 quite light. Yeah, same for me. I like I like dark roasts, and uh, I always roast my own coffee beans very quite dark as well. So Finnish uh, enthusiasm about light roasted coffee is something that quite eludes me. But uh, I guess it could be worse. It it still tastes like coffee. I don't think. Well, this doesn't really taste much like anything. I don't know if I did something wrong on the other one. Yeah, the milk helps a bit. But yeah, on today we had uh, on the list, uh, we are going to talk a bit about our coffee equipment and uh, we are going to talk about crunching and we are going to talk some uh, great stuff about a great game called Flame in the Flood, uh, a 3D procedurally generated survival game, which yeah. is actually a quite a great story as well. Yeah, well, yeah it's like a top-down game, actually. Yeah. So uh, about the coffee equipment, uh, I currently have, well, I I order coffee beans online, uh, raw, and I roast them in my oven or outside when I go to wood uh, at an open fire. Uh, both of these give my my own coffee beans a slight uh, distinguishable taste uh, of uh, like this small hint of smoke. Like uh, not a ba- not a big one, but uh, it's there. How do you roast it outside? Uh, I usually have a metal pan, so it's kind of like in the oven, but it's easier to stir them because ah, yeah. in the oven, if you want to stir them uh, mid roast, you need to uh, open it and yeah, and uh, yeah. it can be very troublesome. But uh, by open fire, I usually use a pan, and uh, I would like to buy a metal bowl. So I think it's uh, moderately the same as with a hot air blower, except that the temperatures are bigger yeah. and not as steady. Yeah. Yeah. Then I have two uh, grinding pans. I have one that I operate by hand, which I use if I'm not in a hurry because I like the uh, crunching sound it makes. And uh, another that is mechanical one. It's very much quicker, but it makes this awful howling sound each time I use it. And uh, I'm not very much a fan. But uh, both both give good quality coffee. 
In addition to that, uh, a very regular part of my equipment are different spices. I use most often cinnamon, vanilla and cardamom for my coffee, but uh, lately I have been considered using uh, orange peels and uh, the, the, the lavender. Yeah. So I'm, I'd say I'm <laughs> a bit more into spicing than the actual roasting process. I'm, I can be pretty careless about that part, but uh, I would like to have a hot air blower to try out, like, to do it very patiently and do it, like, yeah. right and correct yeah. way. Uh, yeah, actually the spicing part is something I, I want to try as well. Because I've tried your coffees with like cinnamon and stuff, and it's quite good. Yeah, so you have a hot air blower and a metal bowl. Yeah, for roasting, I have the hot air blower. I think it uh, blows like four hundred Celsius yeah. uh, degree hot air, and and then I'm just a metal bowl where I, I uh, pour the raw beans in the metal bowl, and I just use the blower to blow at them and, and kind of mix it with the hot air that it blows. Can you adjust the temperature of the blower? Uh, this one I have has two settings, uh, low and high. Yeah. I don't know which, how much or how hot each setting is, but I just use the hottest one. Yeah. Because I found that to work better, best, I guess. Yeah. And, yeah, and that metal ball, well, I have to use this sort of like oven mittens to hold the metal ball because obviously it gets very hot when you blow hot air in it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah, that's that's pretty much it for roasting. Then I have, then I have just just a, like a electric grinder for grinding grinding the coffee. I want I wanted to buy a, like a ceramic kind of hand grinder because it it sounds like a fun idea. And I heard they're better, but I have to try it, I guess. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's better, but uh, for me, I don't like loud noises, and I like the kind of zen-like experience you get while you have to spend yeah. 10 minutes grinding the coffee. Kind of, I think that if you have to put actual manual effort to it, it somehow makes you appreciate it more. But yeah. that's just that's just a personal preference about wanting to appreciate everything and taking time to appreciate things. And uh, as for the actual making of coffee, you had the Aeropresso and uh, I have the traditional presso pan. Yeah, yeah, air process. It's a bit different. It's like it relies on the pressure of the air. Yeah. Pretty much so. Actually, I was uh, looking into the the traditional coffee makers, and uh, I discovered that there are actually uh, big quality differences between them. And uh, like, you can put good coffee in a bad coffee maker, and uh, it can turn out quite awful. Because apparently one thing that you need to take into consideration is the pressure of the water, like how fast does it come from it. So yeah. if you if the pressure is bigger, then uh, the flavor is stronger. And if you want softer coffee, you should always pour it as slowly as possible. So I think that might actually uh, contribute to differences in our coffee. Yeah. Because uh, with air pressure, you get the very strong, uh, almost stinging flavor, and uh, with traditional presso pan you get a softer, yeah. uh, deeper experience. And I think you can, like with aeropresso, you can kind of, uh, depending on how hard you press, yeah. it, it changes the flavor for yeah. sure, and and other things as well, like how you use it. Yeah, and uh, 
Uh, did you make this with Aeropresso, by the way? Yeah, yeah, I don't have yeah. anything else. Anymore. Because I, I can immediately see the difference, because even when I said that uh, the coffee made with Aeropresso is very strong and almost stinging, uh, if you make it with good quality beans, it's usually very good and dark and black. But uh, this one, it feels like the Aeropresso has taken out all the... It brings out the good things about this coffee, but it also brings out all the bad taste in it. Yeah, yeah. So there is definitely a difference between Juhlamokka uh, and what you roast usually. Yeah, it definitely brings out the taste of the coffee. You could, you could yes, and, and unfortunately, <laughs> the taste of this coffee is not very good. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, usually, if it brings out the taste of your coffee, it's usually tastes like coffee. It's well, compared to what I usually drink, it's very strong, like a yeah. uh, kind of punch in the face, but in a good way. This one is a punch in the face in the bad way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can taste all the all the things that this coffee could have been. Yeah. In its prime life, if roasted properly, stares off into distance. <laughs> For sure. Actually, one thing I think I would want to upgrade next from my equipment is is uh, my water boiler because or, or what is that like a kettle yeah water boiler because uh, well I just have a like a really cheap one uh, that just it just boils it to boiling yeah but uh, with coffee I think you would want it to be at 80 degrees 80 or 90 actually yeah yeah, yeah. between those and and if you drink tea it's also it's usually not 100 yeah 100 um, is actually a very good way of uh, getting very bad tea because uh, there are differences between tea leaves. But uh, if you boil, uh, pour boiling water on top of tea leaves, uh, well, it, you kind of boil them instead of brewing them, which uh, brings out instantly the bitter, ruined flavor all yeah. the tea leaves have. And uh, it goes the same if you use 90 degree water on green tea leaves. So if you ever drink bitter tea, it's either brewed with too hot water or t- for too long. Yeah. And yeah, I think, well, I haven't tried it with coffee, but I, it has probably the same sort of effects on mm-hmm. coffee that mm-hmm. it kind of, yeah, too hot water isn't good. Yeah. So I, I'd want a, like a water boiler that that's like adjustable. Yeah, some water boilers are not adjustable, but they show you the degree with a thermometer outside it yeah, yeah. that's actually one yeah that might be good as well i've kind of tried to like wing it kind of like just because when, when you hear it kind of start start making that like boiling sound yeah. but there's not bubbles coming yet it's yeah. it's i usually take it out at somewhere around that point yeah it's around 80 19 at that point yeah so that's kind of good enough but it would, it would be nice to have the accurate Accurate temperature. Yeah. Do you know what I would like to upgrade next? Yeah. My uh, fire alarm. <laughs> because I have this fire alarm kind of thing on my roof that is extremely sensitive. It can go off if I leave the bathroom door open for too long time after taking a hot shower. So you can imagine whenever I roast coffee uh, in my oven... It goes off like crazy, and the thing is, I can't take it out of the roof because it's directly connected to the electricity network of the whole uh, household complex. So 
I want to find a way to cut the wires <laughs> without electrocuting myself and uh, get another uh, fire alarm which works with batteries and which I can take down from the roof yeah, at will. Yeah. Because currently it's the biggest uh, hindrance to my coffee roasting because each time I want to roast coffee, I need to be very careful not to uh, let too much of the... Well, I can't, for example, stir them properly because the smoke comes out. Yeah. And I need to have the balcony door open all the time. And uh, during the winter months in Finland, it's not a very pleasant experience. Yeah, it can be quite cold. <laughs> I I used to have a similar fire alarm. At least it had a battery, so I could... Every time I cooked food, I had to take the battery out. Yeah. This, this one I have here is actually good. It doesn't, like, start yeah. yelling at me when I cook food or anything. But... Yeah, I want, I want this one. <laughs> I want that one. <laughs> But yeah, so I think that's about it for the coffee. So let's talk about crunching in the game industry. Now, this is a subject that I have been reading a lot on in hopes of trying to find out a new way of saying crunch is bad because people say crunch is bad and people also say, okay, but we are still going to do it. And it, it drives me up the walls to not be able to find a way to express why is it so so bad and there are there are so many things to say that i can't i don't think i can fit all of them in 10 minutes but i'll try to kind of find a some kind of new angle to it so uh well to, to those of you who don't know crunch is uh, a period of time usually used in gaming industry uh when you start overworking and putting in the extra hours because you need to get the product out there for the customers and uh, according to studies, if you crunch one week or two weeks, it can actually boost your productivity around 40-50%. So one or two week crunches are fine. But the problem is that industry stran- standard has uh, like crunch periods from four months to over a year. Yeah. And... Uh, That's just ridiculous. Like. Yeah. I'm I'm sure people have heard the crunch stories where people sleep at their offices and and basically never even go home and eat at eat at the computer and just work. Yeah. Quite a lot, like eighty hour, like you said earlier, like eighty hour weeks are like sixty to eighty hour. Well, well, forty hour weeks are like really low, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, basically, I I'm going to say one of two good things about crunch and one or two things I might want to see in our company uh, one day. So first of all, it can give a lot of creative freedom to people and uh, it can bring about a sense of community and it can boost your productivity for short term. So I wouldn't mind if, like, for example, our company would uh, would have like one week crunch period that everybody knows that, okay, this is the uh, one week three weeks away from delivery everybody crunched that week and then it's over and after the launch you get those hours back as uh, a form of vacation but uh, studies also show that after two weeks your productivity drops way below the what you had before you started crunching yeah so uh four months six months a year what are these ridiculous standards there is no uh, scientific proof to say that uh, it matters. 
And uh, I was reading an article earlier on Polygon about uh, a developer who worked uh, with the Fable, the game. And it was uh, titled as Fable Destroyed My Life, but I don't regret it. So basically he was describing how they spent one year crunching and uh, he would just drink caffeine and uh, take caffeine pills all the time and eat sugar and sweets and have all his uh, ready meals at the computer. So sandwiches, cereal bars, chocolate. And uh, his work hours would be minimum of 12 hours per day. And after he went home, he wouldn't get to sleep because of all the caffeine. Yeah, that's just ridiculous. Like, how does he even think... <laughs> the thing is that you you can't think because at some point when you do something like that long term your brain s- simply stops working so instead of uh, getting more work done actually the more you stay at the office the less you get done so you get these days when you just stare at your work and nothing comes out no. because your brain simply doesn't have the energy or the fuel or your brain just can't work so you have a whole day of 12 hours when you get nothing done. And that can take a toll, not only on the project, but also as yourself, as a person. Yeah. And uh, because you're there at work trying to do it. Because you're trying, but you can't get anything done. You're, yes. you're not resting. Yeah. So it's it's going to be the same the next day. And yes. I'd imagine it's kind of like a routine thing. You just come to work and you go through the motions, but then you might not get that much done. Indeed. So uh, there is a reason why eight hours is kind of the standard in most countries, uh, because that's the kind of pace where you can get things done, uh, but uh, it gives you enough time to recover on your free time if you don't work over that on a long, uh, for a longer period of time. Yeah. Because sometimes you get really excited and you want to put in more hours. But uh, you can't do that all the time. At some point, you are just going to crack and start working less and less and feeling less and less inspired. Or if you feel insecure or if you have imposter syndrome, you will start putting in more hours and getting less and less done while becoming more and more ill. Yeah. I think uh, crunch as an industry standard is one of the reasons why the turnover rate of our of the game is industry is around five years. And that's a very short amount of time because uh, it takes about five years for you to move from junior to senior position. Yeah, it probably could even... Well, I would say it even takes more for most people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't remember who said it, but it's like the industry that never learns because mm. all the, all the uh, seniors get burned out and leave. So Indeed, so you have to reinvent the wheel all the time because you are... Dr- the industry is driving away all those people who kind of have already the experience of... Uh, well, if you work at a company and you have a, an employer employee for five years, they know all the habits, all the manners, all the uh, regulations, all the rules. Why the hell would you let somebody like that go and take in a new person because you need to start from the square one again with yeah. them? And... Uh, one of the one thing that you need to take into consideration is how could you make these people stay because again in 5 years in the industry this person has learned so much that if they want to stay uh they can probably go anywhere 
so they they will probably start to check out the uh, another places to see if things would be better somewhere else if i was an employee and i found a place which would buy uh, pay me as much but without the crunch i would probably take that yeah because uh while i do enjoy my work and uh, i i enjoy every day i also enjoy spending time with my dog spending time alone sleeping cleaning uh taking a long shower <laughs> on a daily basis eating normal food yes cooking <laughs> yeah. having time uh having time for cooking and uh let's say i wanted to have a relationship working for 16 hours per day for a year could put slight strain on that yeah for sure hi honey see you in a year <laughs> maybe if the dlc goes as intended yeah Another thing that it does is that it blurs your vision of the bigger picture because uh, let's say I assign you a job and I say I have allocated four hours for you and you use the four hours and you're like, oh shit, it's still not ready. I'm going to crunch for another four hours and then the work gets done and uh, I'm like, okay, great. So this work took only four hours. So if everybody starts doing this, I have no idea how much time do people need for their work. So they will always get uh, overscoped work and too little time to perform them. Yeah, because then it's like, well, last time you got done it, got it done this fast, like do do it by tomorrow now. Yeah. Yeah. When I do programming, so I have a problem so I'm trying to solve. And I, maybe I'm staring at the code, like at like the later part of the day, and I'm not get anything done, and it's it's hard, and I'm just writing new bugs, and it's like uh, progressing nowhere. Uh, but then I go to home, and I rest, and I sleep, and I come back to work in the morning, and suddenly it's really easy. I got I got the solution like this, like instantly. Yeah, it's actually <laughs> a biological and psychological thing because uh, your brain is. Uh kind of designed to operate in the way that you move around and uh, for example on the street or on the forest and uh, your hands and legs do the uh, moving pattern yeah. so if you sit still at the same time and your environment doesn't change your brain assumes that okay this is the place where you want to be in yeah so uh, if you uh, have a problem and you can't get it solved the best thing actually to do is to like walk around the block or around the house or anything because then your brain is like, okay, so this wasn't the kind of right place. So you need new thoughts, new ideas. And it's, it's even like the rest helps as well because you like, yeah, that too. So yeah, if if you just crunch and you sit at your office for 16 hours a day, it's like, it's not going to work out. Yeah. Especially not in the long term. Like, I I think that uh, having very short crunches can work out, but uh, I would be very careful with those. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I I really hope that we get to see the industry learning from its mistakes and starting to treat its employees a bit better. Yeah, I hope that this gives at least some kind of perspective about, uh, once again, why is crunch so bad? Yeah. So, Flame in the Flood. 
It's a great game. It was nice. I haven't played it fully uh, all the way through, but I played like half of it, I think, I okay. think or something. In that case, uh, do you mind spoilers about the uh, narrative and the uh, storyline? Uh, I, I don't think I mind it. I'm probably not going to play it to the end. I don't have time, honestly. Okay. Uh, in, uh, like, um, okay, so fair warning, there will be spoilers, but uh, I can recommend that uh, despite the spoilers, you should play through because it's actually quite an amazing experience. Yeah. So, uh, Flame in the Flood is a procedurally generated game about survival, top-down 3D, and uh, with the visual aesthetics of a gothic storybook. I think the first thing that drew me in while I was picking up a game to play in my first charity stream with Kreline, uh, it was the visuals that finally made the decision for me, because it looks like a children's storybook. The main character looks quite young, but uh, there's still this sense of uh, kind of destruction or post-apocalyptic world. Like, things are ruined and broken, and... um, Yeah, the visual style is really, really nice. Yeah. Also, about the visual style, the audio style is very great as well. It's uh, uh, I think the game is located in post-apocalyptic America, and the music reflects that it's uh, it's blues and country and very... You know, before this game, I didn't think that I could ever like blues or country. No. Those two have always been uh, curse words for me, just like jazz. But uh, this game's soundtrack is really something else. I would uh, p- uh, pay the game price just for that soundtrack. Yeah. So if you don't like to play games, at least go listen to that. And uh, as far as procedurally generated games go, I think that many games in the late years have been creating themselves procedurally just because it was the latest fad. Yeah. But this game actually did it quite well. And uh, I think the reason why it feels so unique is uh, has to do with the survival aspect of the game. Because when you think about any kind of survival game, let's take Minecraft, for example, yeah. or say another. Like, well, well, there's a lot of the Minecraft style, like maybe Terraria or, or yeah, Terraria. Don't, don't Starve, I guess. Yeah. So the point of these games is always that uh, you can either go to the top of the food chain and become so strong that nobody, nobody else stands a chance against you, or you build a fortress, like in Minecraft, to keep the rest of the food chain out. Yeah. This is from my GameSpot review. And uh, what Flame in the Flood does differently is that it allows you to have need- neither of these. Like, you can have stronger equipment, stronger weapons, but you will always be very aware of your place in the food chain. You will not once in the game you will have anything that allows you to go uh, fuck with a bear, for example. Yeah, yeah. I found that that very fast. Yeah. Another thing is that uh, you need to uh, go with the flow, so to speak, because the uh, main big part of the gameplay is that you go down a huge river in your raft, so you can't form a, a permanent lodging, so you can't keep the rest of the food chain out because you yeah. need to always move on to the next point of the river, and yeah. you just well go with the flow mm. and uh, take what you have there and hope that if you get ill the next place has some meds, or you have them with you, 
So you have a limited inventory and you kind of need to prioritize and improvise a lot. It doesn't allow you to have anything permanent because food perishes, uh, you need to use a lot of stuff, you can't collect very much, you can't hoard things. And uh, so it doesn't give you that kind of end game feeling that yeah. I'm the king of the world at any point. Yeah, I think it's it's quite hard as well. Like, a, well, I, in a good way. Like, it feel it feels like you really need to struggle and like to survive, because like, well, the weather uh, affects your survival. Like, if it starts raining, you need to take shelter and yeah. get yourself warm. And later on, I think it gets cold out, so you have to make clothes and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's a constant struggle to stay alive and. If you get attacked by a wolf or something, then it's like, oh, yeah, broken bones. Yes. Uh, like, Do you have medicine stuff? Yeah. If not, tough luck. <laughs> tough luck, indeed. Yeah. The game offers both a narrative version and um, endless mode. And uh, I think both of those are made really well. The endless mode gets... I don't think it gets more challenging, at least by much but the narrative version is actually pretty hard to get through because the narrative mode gets uh, harder every time. I think it has 10 chapters or something like that. Yeah. And uh, around the... uh, Around last one or two chapters, it just rains all the time, you are cold all the time. If you haven't collected food earlier, tough luck, because there is no food unless you have wood and you can hunt down bears. Yeah. It's very, very, very challenging. And uh, I had to try several times before I got through. But uh, I'm not actually going to spoil the actual ending, but uh, the narrative succeeds in making you feel like uh, the longer you are in the wilderness, the harder your survival gets because you can't stay for a long time and you don't really have any overpowered weapons you could use to kind of pull yourself to the ending. No. But uh, when you finally get to the end, it's... Uh, I would say it is a happy ending. Many might disagree with me, or many might question it, but uh, for me it felt so, so warm. It was the first warm thing I had felt in several chapters <laughs> in that game. <laughs> Because the whole game just feels so lonely and so cruel and so hard. Yeah. And then you have this not overly sweet ending, but kind of... It's kind of a welcome home ending. Those of you who have gotten there, you know what I mean. Yeah, well... Oh, yeah. Um, The gameplay was kind of interesting, I guess. But uh, it was a bit wrong game for me, I suppose, because... I don't like inventory management, yeah. and that's a huge part of this game. So, yeah. um, I, I found myself constantly struggling. Like, well, my backpack is full again. What, what the hell can I drop? <laughs> and then it's hard on the first time. You don't even know what you need, so you you don't know what you can drop. And yeah, but that's uh, I guess part of the experience and part of the fun for the people that like that sort of stuff. Yeah, and also a part of learning experience. Yeah, it's. It was quite challenging. Uh, yeah, I think I played my first playthrough to a point where I really couldn't even get forward anymore because I was in a spot where I was cold and sick and I didn't have medicine. I I couldn't even get to the next uh, campsite or whatever. Yeah. Uh, because I died instantly. Yeah. 
and I would have had to either start or over or start at a later or earlier checkpoint. Yeah. Because you can do that, you can like go backwards, but. I think that's a very good addition because sometimes you get that that kind of situation that you just described that you get stuck in a point where you know I don't have food, my all ribs are broken, I don't have medicine, and I'm dying. Uh-huh. So you can just load from a previous checkpoint, you know, before you got mauled by that pack of wolves. Yeah. And kind of maybe skip that <laughs> skip that <laughs> island this time. Skip getting mauled. Yes. <laughs> it, it's a nice one. Yeah. The, I think the bears are a bit buggy sometimes because I have only met two bears out of five that uh, didn't bug out on me. Uh, some wouldn't take damage, some would take damage but wouldn't die, and uh, others would just uh, sit still in their nest while I shot them to death. No. I'm not really a fan of arrow shooting in any game with the very, very, very exception of Breath of the Wild, where the arrow shooting has made fun. But uh, as far as bears go, arrows, my favorite weapon. Okay. Yeah. Because I can keep my distance and hope for the best. I think one of the hardest things about the game for me was that I never noticed any of the like the wolves or anything. I just casually was trolling and then suddenly I noticed that a wolf woke up next to me. Yeah. And then it's pretty much too late. Yeah. You can try to run, but... Yeah. I think that's also a kind of good part of the game in a way that uh, it feels realistic. Because the wolves uh, are awake at night. so uh, And the night is very dark and the wolves are black. So you usually either hear them growl... Or notice them by the time they bite your head off. Yeah, you have to keep on your toes all the time. Yeah, do not die. So yeah, yeah, it's an it's an interesting game compared to other survival games because, as I mentioned, it doesn't let you have the end game feeling of I'm I'm strong and powerful. The biggest it lets you have is that if you can somehow manage to uh, hunt down several times successfully, then you feel like. Oh my god, I have food for a whole six days. Yeah. Oh my god, this is so amazing. And and I have bandages. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of kind of gives you these temporary reliefs which are the biggest high you get in the whole game. Yeah. And the procedural generation keeps it from getting boring because you can't kind of uh know the roots by heart. And uh, by the time you have learned the, what are the important uh, items, for example, fish hooks, uh, meat, especially on the first playthrough, yucca plants, the game also offers you uh, some challenges that you can try out by the time you know how the game works. For example, uh, Animal Friend, where you need to play the, I think, narrative version through without killing any animals. Yeah. So I think that ash cakes and yucca, yucca plants would be... Your best bet. I haven't still managed to uh, finish that because if you think that you couldn't kill any animals, then the cold will get you real bad. Nah. <laughs> it's hard to get food anyways, and yes. and you can't kill any animals, so that's gonna be tough. Yeah. I think it's. I don't remember if it was you or the Steam Store page, but uh, it was like when I started playing it, I. Uh, 
I think it was you maybe who said like it's like a rogue light or kind of. So that's like that's very interesting. It's really different rogue light compared to like the stuff that you have on Steam, like most of the time. Yeah, I think it has found a very good balance between a survival game and a roguelike. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's like, it's not combat focused at all, I don't, yeah, and, well, at the point I was at that you couldn't, I couldn't even kill anything without traps, so. I think the traps are still the most powerful weapon in the game because the, uh, you, you have the bow, but, uh, it's very underpowered, like, I think you need to take three shots or five shots at a bear. Okay. So if you can do that, you are very lucky because the bear will keep running at you. Ah. So uh, the easiest way to kill anything are the traps. Yeah. Anyway, so. But yeah, that also kind of puts you to your place. Like you don't have uh, almost any kind of combat uh, offensive and the only combat offensive you have is the uh, bow, which requires you to stay at a distance. So there's nothing that encourages you to go uh, wrestle wrestle with a bear. Yeah. Unless you want broken bones and... <laughs> Everybody's favorite. Yeah. Also, it's the first game where I have been so happy to find uh, maggots or worms or anything that I could eat. <laughs> because on my first playthrough i was so focused on like anything i could find and eat i would find it and i would eat it (laughs) yeah so it's it captures the atmosphere really well and it's it has this very unique atmosphere of um yeah that atmosphere and everything works together like it's it's quite tense at points exactly when you get mauled by uh, whatever creature it's like yeah it really hits you hard and it's it's fun. Yeah, and all the challenges. You don't really get, like, uh, easy challenges in that game. I, I feel that every challenge that the game throws at you are either average or hard. Like, for example, it rains, you are wet now, you are cold. That's an yeah. average challenge. You get mauled by a pack of wolves. You don't have medicine. Well, that's a hard challenge. There's not really very easy things or easy problems for you to solve in that game. Yeah. It's just management. Just like life. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. But it is very good how everything works so well together in the game. Yeah. The visuals, the music, the sound effects. And somehow just the general narrative. There is a narrative in the endless mode as well, but it's uh, both in the story mode and in the endless mode, it's very uh, subtle. You don't get many cutscenes, you don't see many NPCs. So it's it's kind of... Uh, the game gives you a few spots, and it's up to you to fill in the blanks. Yeah, yeah it doesn't like force a story down your throat or anything. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Uh, I also think that the game is very much easier to play on a controller than on a keyboard. But uh, I did manage to complete it with 
with keyboard, so it's not it's not like it's impossible. Yeah. But uh, I think controller gives you far better experience. I think I played it with a controller. I'm yeah. pretty sure. Uh, I didn't even try the keyboard controls. Yeah. One thing that is a bit weird about the game is that uh, the game goes to great lengths to kind of give you the impression that you are very mortal, very weak, but then your dog is a fucking god. (laughs) (laughs) Your dog doesn't give a fuck. It doesn't die. It doesn't get wounded. It's just an invulnerable moving bag with ten slots. Yeah. (laughs) Carry this for me. Yes, ten slots of which I'm very, very grateful. Yeah, yeah, that's the interesting. Well, yeah, that's an interesting one as well. That you have like a inventory space on the dog, but you can't really you like you can't eat or, or hold on. You can't use some sort of stuff from the dog. Like yeah, I think you you need to move the medicine stuff to your own bag, but yeah. you can eat things yeah, off the bag. Yeah, you could probably eat. Yeah, but you can. I don't think you can drink or anything like that. Like no. you cannot. Like, use items. Yeah, you need to make a swap between your inventory and the dog. So the game has three inventories. One of them is your own, which is fully accessible for you. One of them is a raft, which is a raft inventory is accessible each time you are near the raft, so while sailing or while at the dock. And then there is the dog inventory of your companion dog, which is kind of an in-between of these two. It's an inventory that you can access, but uh, some things you need to properly take out of the dog's bag before you can use them. Yeah. So it's a moving raft. In a way, I think it's still the right call that they didn't give a dog different management system because it's already hard work enough to manage yourself and your raft. Yeah, that would be kind of... Like, yeah, it's like micromanagement. Yeah, it would be too management-heavy. Because I think that the biggest appeal of the game, after all, is the sense of adventure, discovery, finding out new places, sense of achievement and happiness when you find something very useful, like fish hooks. Yeah. Like, like yeah, even, like, I don't usually like survival games that much, but I, that didn't didn't feel too management-heavy. So, yeah. uh, like, I enjoyed it for quite a while. Like, well, the inventory inventory management was one thing I didn't like, but that's just my personal thing, I guess, but... Yeah. Yeah. It's it's still, like, you you couldn't make that game about it, I don't think, but... Yeah. Other than that, I would say it's a very, very, very good game, and uh, uh, procedural generation brings a big, big plus to it. Yeah. After, well, let's say No Man's Sky... Uh, I'm very happy to see games that use procedural generation because it fits the game and not because it is what you're supposed to have in the game or as a cheap way to get new content. Yeah. Because I feel that for a game that forces you to be live in the moment and go with the flow and improvise with what you have now or in the next three days in the game, uh, for that kind of game, generating procedural content that... Uh, Feeds on the improv- uh, improvisation aspect is a very good choice. Yeah. I'm not sure if I have <laughs> very much else to say because uh, I like survival games as well. But, uh, for example, in Minecraft and Terraria, there comes the point where uh, 
where you are kind of the king of the world and nobody can nobody can have anything on you yeah. and you just beat everything to pulp. And that's usually the point where I stop playing because uh, I have created a working system. Uh, that's my cue to the sunset. Yeah. Then I just visit occasionally to see that everything goes goes on just as intended. But I like the, I think I like the start game struggle and uh, figuring out how do I make this work, just like in the companies and startups. Yeah, that's you get better. <laughs> like it's the it's the point that you get better at it, and you kind of need to be good at it to even we beat it. I think. Yeah. And yeah, it's not endless. I think that's the interesting part about it because, like, well, Minecraft has kind of story now, but it, it it was slapped on at a later point. Yeah. But most of those games are like just endless. Yeah, and um, I think Minecraft has been built more around the endless part than the story part. Yeah. Whereas, uh, if you buy the Flame in the Flood, if you only play through the narrative ones, then I think that you have seen everything the game has to offer, and. Uh, I don't know. I kind of felt that like that. Okay, this is great because I both I can both have the cake and eat it because uh, I have completed the story, so I can say that I completed that game. But uh, if I want to go back to it, I have the endless modes, and I don't need to go through the story again. Yeah. If I just want to have the mechanics and atmosphere and kind of get back to that world. Yeah. I think that if I would add something to it. As uh, or if I would have a wish for it uh, as a gamer, I would probably wish to have more optional narrative after I have beaten the main story because the ending, as good as it was, it raised more questions than it answered. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I I think I would really want to get uh, deeper into that world they have have created. Because the world creation has done been done very well. You have these NPCs that mention about the great disaster and great evac- evacuation. And uh, you are kind of like, hmm, this is relevant to my interests. And uh, the game ending doesn't really answer those questions. It just tosses you a bushel of more and says that, here you go, figure it out yourself. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I also like that they didn't stretch out the main story too far. Because it's not a long story. It can be completed in one day easily if you put your back to it. But uh, it's a very very compact but very good experience. And I always prefer those over the... Well, I just wanted to have more content, so I created and have a story yeah. for it. Yeah, for sure. Like, quality content over, over like... Quantity, yeah. yeah. That's that's what I also want because, well, the more busy I get, the more precious my time is, and I don't want it to be wasted away by some half-assed content. Yeah, same here. And I think that one game that uh, is a good example on how you can add add new features later on is actually Stardew Valley because that game had a kind of story. Well, it's a marriage management kind of story but uh you can kind of get to the end game in stardew valley as well and uh, now they are adding multiplayer uh, multiplayer option for it 
So when I was playing Stardew Valley, I never expected that there would be a multiplayer. But uh, now that they are adding it and after giving it some thought, I figured that, well, actually, this is a really great addition to it. Yeah. And will probably make it the game a whole lot better. So if I had one wish for developers of Flame in the Flood, it would be that if you can add more story that will shed more optional story that will shed some light to the world you have built, I will play it, definitely, because it's a really great world and I have I have many questions yeah. to be answered. But that's really it on my part. Do you have anything to add? Uh, no, not really. I, it was enjoyable. Some of the mechanics were annoying to me, but not really because they were like made badly or anything. It's yeah. just that my preferences didn't really match with the game's decisions at some point. But yeah. I also think it's coming for Switch, so if you have a chance to play it there, I I think it will be a very interesting and great experience. Yeah. So all the Switch users out there, check it out. I definitely recommend it. Like the I I didn't regret the time I spent in it. Like I had fun with the with it as much as I played it. Yeah, and, and I think that's the really great part about having both narrative and endless mode in such a good game as this because you can have fun with it for as long as you want. Yeah. And it will always be a complete game experience. Yeah, I didn't I didn't feel well, I didn't go through the story fully, but I didn't feel feel like I needed to. I, yeah. I wasn't really super invested in the story, I just had fun with the game. Yeah. But yeah, thanks for listening for today and uh, we'll be back next month with hopefully some better coffee because <laughs> it's been yeah. it's been almost one hour and I still I'm sorry but I still haven't managed to finish this and I don't think I will. By actual coffee, people. Don't support you, Lomokka. <laughs> yeah, please. Yes. Let's see you next month. Till next month.